Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's science headlines, people just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we are talking with students involved in coronavirus and COVID-19 related research so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. Today, August 7th, 2020, we have with us Emma Winkler, an MD-PhD student in the Diamond Lab at Washington University School of Medicine. Emma obtained her BS in microbiology and biochemistry from Indiana University before joining the Medical Scientist Training Program. She has been examining the role of the microbiome in systemic virus infection, and just recently published a first author paper in Cell about this work called The Intestinal Microbiome Restricts Alphavirus Infection and Dissemination Through a Bile Acid Type 1 Interferon Signaling Axis. On a personal note, Emma and I have worked together on several microbiome and COVID-19 related projects. Hi, Emma. Happy to have you with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you become interested in virology research? Yeah, so um, I actually don't know if you know this about me, but both my parents are scientists. So they are, um, my dad is a professor at Indiana University. So from a very young age, I have been kind of a part of this life um, and (laughs) have seen, I think one of my earliest memories is my dad explaining why oil and water don't mix to me. Um, So he studies strep pneumo and is supported by my mom in the lab. So they were always bacteriologists and I knew I always had an interest in science, but to differentiate myself (laughs) as an undergrad, I actually became interested in viruses and did most of my undergraduate research in Chang Cao's lab, looking at the role of non-structural proteins in norovirus replication. Um, and so that's how I initially became interested in viruses. And then when I became an MSTP here, I also was introduced to this wonderful world of immunology and the intersection of virology and how viruses hijack the immune system. And so that's kind of where I am now in my training. What were the steps that you took to get where you are in your career today? I'm still very early in my career, um, certainly. All right, I hope I'm still very early in my career. Um, but I think the steps that I, I never had a, I had a sense of what I wanted to study, but I was never pigeonholed into studying that. I think what was more important to me was surrounding myself in scientific environments where I felt I could do really well um, and doing the most I could within those environments Um, and then taking concrete steps where I felt supported by the people that were supposed to be helping me. Yes, your career has just started, but what was the most exciting Eureka moment so far? Yeah, it probably was. Um, so as you mentioned, I um, came into the lab with an interest in studying how the microbiome modulates systemic immune responses, specifically in the context of viral infection. And um, I was working on this project and was in the worst part of the project, which is the last 10%, in which you have the story, but you don't really have the story. Um, So you're just trying 400 things and throwing 
everything at the wall and hoping something sticks. And it was this very serendipitous occurrence in which we were colonizing these mice with these Clostridium species. And it was suggested as a negative control, so a control that should not affect the phenotype we were looking at. We should look at this one bacteria, Clostridium sindens. And so it turns out this bacteria actually was able to reverse the phenotype and was kind of the key to a lot of the more mechanistic future directions and the insight that we gained from that project. But it really truly was a accident. <laughs> but it was a wonderful eureka moment because it opened up all these interesting, more fundamental scientific concepts as to how the microbiome could modulate immunity. Um, so that, that so far has been the biggest surprise. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about this work that you've just published? Yeah. Um, so we, the fundamental observation was that if you perturb the microbiome or don't have the microbiome of mice prior to chikungunya virus infection and more broadly alpha virus infection, you have increased viral system. Um, dissemination or increased virus at systemic sites like the spleen and the serum. And this is important because these are actually um, viruses that spread through mosquitoes. So viremia directly impacts how much virus a mosquito will get and then can transmit to someone else. And so then this work focused on understanding the immune correlates that dictated how the microbiome actually impacts these systemic immune responses that then impact viral dissemination. And then as I alluded to earlier, one of the final conclusions of the paper was there's actually these bacteria, more specifically Clostridium sindens, that make secondary bile acids. And these secondary bile acids actually can inform the immune response and more or less prime the immune response to prevent viral dissemination that then can prevent actually dissemination to, or transmission to a mosquito vector. So thinking back, what is the most difficult thing you've had to overcome in your studies so far, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think there is, whether people talk about it or not, I think at every stage there is an element of self-doubt um, that kind of creeps in no matter what stage I think you are in or how successful you are in, either that's whether I'm going to publish this paper or whether this experiment is going to work, or you take results very personally when things don't work, especially at the beginning, I think when you're young. So learning that on, when an experiment fails, it's not a failure of your own hard work or a failure of your own like intuition necessarily. Um, it just means you have to rethink the problem and move forward with it. So that was, I think, one of the biggest things I overcame, especially my first and second year of grad school and understanding it was science was not personal. <laughs> it was just um, you had to rethink how you were going to approach the issue. Related to that, if you had a chance to ask your older self, say you at the end of your career, one question, what would it be? probably how do you decide what to study or what, how do you decide what is important to study and how do you have the insight and the foresight to say this maybe is not immediately applicable, but 
could be applicable in XYZ context. Um, and then the other more broad life question I would ask is, how do you define what is important in your life and maintain that balance um, when it's very, very difficult to maintain that balance? How did you start working on COVID-19 related research? So in March, a small proportion of the lab had started working and establishing um, the infrastructure that's needed to work on SARS-CoV-2, which is actually fairly extensive, as you can imagine, to make sure everyone is safe. So I think as many people did, I underestimated the impact that COVID-2 would have on the population. So in January and February, I minimized how this was going to change our lives. And I would try to avoid acknowledging how this virus was going to absolutely transform the way we live. And then in March, it became very clear to me that this was going to cause a very large toll in terms of people's lives and their health, but also economically and socially. And it's very rare in life that you're in a lab at the right time to study something that maybe has some impact, not saying that we will directly have an impact on human health, but may have some impact that you can see. And so um, Mike was, I said I was interested in studying it in March and I came very late <laughs> to the COVID-19 team in the Diamond Lab, but he um, basically let me help out at the beginning and then slowly it has evolved into a larger focus. Can you describe the type of COVID-19 research you've been doing? Because you actually went from doing a little bit to now you've, you've done a lot of work and some of it's about to be published where you're a first author. So can you describe some of that research? I switched to studying mouse models of SARS-CoV-2 pathogenesis. So one of the largest barriers that began at the beginning of the pandemic was that there were not small animal models with um, uniform genetically trackable systems in which to ask questions about pathogenesis or test mini vaccine candidates or test mini antibodies or test mini immodulatory agents. And so the lab has come together and has developed two mouse models of SARS pathogenesis that I think answer different questions so the first is the ADNO model, which I was involved with, in which you can deliver human ACE2, which is the receptor. Um, so the crux, the crux of why it was so difficult to develop a small animal model initially was that the receptor, ACE2, can only be bound by the virus if it is the human form. So if it is the mouse form, it cannot be bound and you don't have productive viral replication. So the lab came together in this very large team effort in the first set of experiments in which we were looking into mouse models and found that you could deliver human ACE2 in an adenovirus vector and then allow the mouse now to become uh, susceptible to SARS infection and that you also had the resulting pathology. However, and this model has a lot of advantages in that you can look at different genetic backgrounds, you could look at different environmental influences pretty easily, like obesity or age. Um, however, it doesn't recapitulate severe COVID disease. 
um, which we see in a small but significant portion of the human population. So then the second model that I became much more involved with in characterizing was this model in which the human ACE2 gene is inserted under the control of an epithelial cell-specific promoter. And this also renders the mouse susceptible to SARS-CoV-2 infection. But for some reason, this specific mouse strain causes very severe disease. The mice will lose a lot of weight. They'll have very, very bad lung pathology and impaired lung function. And um, will eventually um, succumb to infection. So the, my, the past six months or so, I've been describing this model and describing immune correlates of disease and with the hope that if we understand immune correlates of disease, we can now understand countermeasures and which pathways we need to target um, in humans with severe COVID disease. Turning more to the personal level, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected you as an individual? It's impacted everyone, certainly. I think I have been privileged in that I did not have to worry about some of the things that were significant stressors in other people's lives. So I, for instance, my parents, I worry about a lot because they're older, so they get all their groceries delivered, going out in public is very stressful. So I never had those stressors, but at the same time, it is a very oppressive feeling every day to be worrying about if I go outside for a run, can I expose someone? If I go to the grocery store, what is the risk involved with that? And then it is compounded with the risk of now I'm coming into work and we're socially distancing, but I'm coming into work with people that also depend on me to be healthy. Um, and I think that was one of my greatest fears was at work was how do I keep people safe? Because I know they trust me to keep them safe. Um, and how do I act responsibly? And so this was always in the back of my mind, uh, especially when it was at the beginning was what is risk and how do we define risk and there were no guide there's still not great guidelines because it's constantly evolving and so it's always asking yourself that question to follow up on that how do you as a virologist make decisions about risk how do you keep yourself your family your coworkers, and your community safe yeah so i i basically think of like a tree diagram in terms of contact tracing whenever I make a decision. Um, so if I go, so I see a nuclear group of people that I see all the time in general now, of course not at the beginning, but when I make a decision, there's two major things is one, will I come into contact with people that are very high risk? And I try to avoid those situations completely. So for instance, I um, visited my parents, but I didn't stay with my parents. We sat outside. Um, we sat eight feet apart, which, you know, is not ideal when I want, you know, to spend a lot of time with my family, but I was very concerned about that and they were very concerned, rightfully so. Um, and then the other thing I think about is if I somehow had virus and didn't know it and I go to a situation 
what is the resulting tree diagram of contact tracing that then occurs. So if I have it and I come home into contact with this person whose significant other now is in contact with these people at work, like what is the result of my actions to how many people? And that's kind of how I make my decisions. <laughs> You're doing a lot of work. Um, what do you do in your free time um, during the COVID pandemic? And actually has that changed sort of what you do or the things that you're able to do, your hobbies, um, exercise, things like that? I still run a lot because that is outside in the weather. It's very nice. Um, the big hobby though I've picked up is biking actually. Um, so with the $1,200 the government gave me, I bought a nice new bike. And so I was able to explore a lot of areas of St. Louis that you normally just completely bypass on the car. Um, and then we were able to do a bike trip on the Katy Trails. So still being able to go on vacation and unplug to some extent, but doing it, it's this magical machine that allows you to do it in a safer way, <laughs> but cover a lot of ground. So that's kind of what I've discovered. So we are beginning to finish up our talk today. Any last messages for our listeners? Any hopes about where you see us going with the COVID-19 pandemic? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I think it's kind of our role as scientists or in science to be ambassadors for understanding what is occurring scientifically and then relaying that to the general public but also not acting as police of the general public and their knowledge. So there is a way to efficiently and effectively provide information and also convey the point that information is going to change every day because this virus emerged in January and we only have, you know, eight months of knowledge to base a lot of really crucial policy decisions on that and trying to have the public understand that as well. Emma, great to talk with you today. Emma's work to characterize small animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection may allow us to understand immune correlates of severe COVID-19 disease and may ultimately lead to new countermeasures for this disease in humans. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us at lmtv.podbean.com if you want to leave a comment about this podcast or to tune in for another of our podcasts. If you are a virologist interested in sharing who you are and what you do, please contact us at letusmeetthevirologists at gmail.com.